0: Lead with this. I have a little bit of a cough. It's not COVID. I'm just going to lead with that. Um, I, I did go to the doctor. We're good, but uh, I just want you to know that. So, okay, we're all good. Great. I'll even take one step back um, for the splash zone. All right. Uh, with that in mind, what what I hope today is that we experience God. And so, what I'd like to do is begin in prayer. Uh, I'm going to start off in prayer, and I'm going to give some pauses throughout, throughout our time of prayer. And those pauses will be for things like uh, for those who would like prayer for family. And what I'm going to ask of you is to just raise your hand as a statement of faith, just saying, yes, I need prayer for that. You don't. I'm not asking for details. I'm not asking you to speak those details. In fact, I'm going to ask you not to. That's between you and the Lord, and he can answer those prayers. But we want to experience God. So with that in mind, would you join me in prayer and just be willing, as you hear different topics that you could use prayer for, to just put your hand up as a statement of faith, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you to meet me in this place. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we do praise you. And Lord, as, as we come into this time, we are choosing to experience you. Lord, we don't want to just know about you, we want to know you. And so with that in mind, we also recognize that there are a lot of things going on in our world. And so we we want to lift those up to you, Almighty God, and by the power of your Spirit, I ask that you would meet us in this place. For those of uh, who need prayer for family right now, would you just lift up your hands? Let me pray for that. Jesus, we lift up our families to you, and uh, we recognize that there are Many situations and many things going on. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would meet our families in very real way and specific ways. Who needs prayer for their work, their job, maybe it's relationships at work. Keep your hands up, Jesus, we love you. And we just would offer our work to you. That there is not a part of our lives that is secular and a part that is sacred. All of it is sacred. And so, Lord, we are lifting that up to you right now. The relationships that are involved, the situations that are involved, we're, we're praying for that. How many of us need prayer for health? For health. Lord, we're lifting up our health to you as well, knowing that you are the great physician you are also the great medicine that we take. And Lord, we would receive that even now, that, uh, that, that Jesus, you would uh, just be in control. And for those of us with our hands in the air, uh, some of this may be personal health. For others, it may be the health of others around us. For others, it may be the health of people that we care for. We're asking, uh, Lord, for you to meet us. How many need prayer for conflict In your life. Not that you want more conflict, but that you want God to meet you in those areas of conflict. Jesus, we're lifting these relationships and situations up to you, these matters of conflict, and we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in that place, that you would minister uh, as you can. As uh, Almighty God, you are the Prince of Peace. And so, Lord, we ask for your peace to uh, just marinate these moments of conflict, these situations of conflict. For some, they're very new. For others, these have been going on for years and years and years. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in that place. How about for spiritual growth? Who needs prayer for spiritual growth? Jesus, we come before you right now and we ask, Almighty God, that you would have your way in our lives. That as we lift up these, um, as we lift up our lives, we're asking for you to do what you want to do the way that you want to do it, for your glory, for your honor, and Lord, that we would have a sense of your presence and that we would be transformed for your glory. It's in Jesus Christ precious and holy, holy, holy name that we lift these things up to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is this is uh, the main thing. The main thing is this: Why are we here? And you might be thinking, "Well, uh, I'm here because I was told to come. I was here because I didn't have anything else to do. I was here because I'm kind of interested in God. I'm here because you, there may be a, a varied there may be varied reasons that we're here." But here's what I'm going to suggest. If we can come down to the very root and ask this question, are we here to know about God or are we here to experience God? The answer to that question really puts us in a trajectory. My suggestion to us is that we are here to experience God, to not just know about God. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. Every element of our worship together, our gatherings, is for us to experience God. So when we come together for musical worship, we can read on the, on the screens the words, and we might even like the beat or the, the specific melody of the song, but that would, that would just stop at knowing about God. What we want to do is completely be transformed. What if, as we're worshiping, we are able to just go in front of the very presence of God Almighty, that it really is about Him? And in that place, we're experiencing Him, we're experiencing God in our worship directly to God. In the Word today, uh, as you hear the Word, we're going to learn about God. And it could just stop there. And informationally, we'll be stuck in that place. Thinking that somehow that has affected our spiritual growth, and maybe it has, but maybe it hasn't. But when we change that to an experience of God through his word, the trajectory changes completely. And we're focused on this God Almighty, experientially. And just a little bit, we'll have opportunity for communion. Communion could be, I'm waiting for a specific time in the service. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go over, and I'm going to get bread, and I'm going to get a cup, and I'm going to go back down, and I'm going to pray. And this is a part of the routine that we've developed here at this church. That could be it. And if that is the case, then we are just knowing about God. We are not experiencing him. Another option could be that we pause before God. And we ask the Holy Spirit to do a work within us that he would identify key areas where throughout this last week we have deviated from his plan. And in deviating from his plan, we have sinned against God. And we can repent. And if we repent, we will be experiencing God and not just knowing about God. The whole element of communion, of taking the bread is a reminder that we're participating together with God, Christ, but also the body of Christ worldwide, and that it's God that nourishes us. The cup, similarly. In a little bit, there'll be an opportunity for offering. And in that offering, we can choose to know about God. We can get in the habit of giving, and that could be nice. But when we change that to an experience with God, and we give sacrificially, and we give joyfully based on this experience with God, then a beautiful thing occurs the early church uh, really focused in on Jesus' prayer and a specific part as it relates to worship. And it was this part. Are you ready? On earth as it is in heaven. That when we gather, we're experiencing on earth as it is in heaven. That happens when we experience God, when we choose to experience him instead of to know about him academically. It's a completely different mindset, isn't it? Not just that, but I also want to challenge us in this respect. The scriptures tell us that the demons believe there is one God, and they shudder. They know about God. But the disciples, they knew Jesus in the flesh. The Old Testament saints, they experienced God, and it was transformative in power, in life. So what will we do? Will we choose to know about God or experience God? I'm going to suggest to you today that everything about our time together is calling us to an experience of Almighty God, if we would be willing. This series, uh, When God Says Jump, is about that experience. And last week, when we came together, I talked about a book called Experiencing God. And we identified some uh, summary points of the entire book. And this week I would say it like this. These summary points are going to act like waves. And sometimes those waves come in at us and sometimes they recede throughout our time in uh, looking at the life of Abram or Abraham later. They're, these points are going to come in at us, and then they'll, they'll recede back. And some of them will be powerful and strong in certain sections of the Scripture, and other than, others are, are just kind of uh, a little more shallow They're in, in that particular passage. But all of them are going to come up as we walk through this together. So with the idea that we're going to experience God, let's look at those points again. Uh, From the book, Experiencing God by Blackaby and King, he says this, God is always at work around you. It's one of the main premises of the entire book. It's also one of the main premises of the entire book. God is always at work around you. We don't have to guess. Is he sleeping? Does he not care? Did he go on vacation? Is he using the restroom? No, God is at work. And he's always at work around us. Not just that. God pursues a continuing love relationship with us That is real and personal. God loves us. And He's pursuing that relationship. We see it throughout the scriptures. Acts chapter 17 is another great place that you can go where God purposely places people in specific places throughout the world so that they will know Him and experience Him. God invites you to become involved with Him in His work. Isn't that wonderful? That God is not just at work, he's not just pursuing us, but he's calling us in to work with him. By the way, that's one of the reasons that I love our life group ministries. You'll see a table out there, you'll see people with shirts kind of like these uh, that I'm wearing. And uh, what it is, is experiencing God throughout the week in fellowship with other believers. Uh, That's an important piece, but God is inviting us to work with him to join him in his work. Also, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. You're going to see, uh, uh, this is one of those smaller waves, not one of the main ones, but one of the smaller waves that creeps in this week. In this respect, that Abram's going to make a decision. That decision is going to Uh, challenge, uh, uh, that's going to challenge his relationship with God. He's going to have to decide, is he going to stay uh, away from God or is he going to move towards God? Uh, You'll see it in just a little bit. But God's going to speak loudly in the circumstances, the point. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. This is going to be one of the main waves, the bigger waves that comes crashing in on us today. Additionally, these two, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. It's not easy. Think about this. We're saying we're following this God who came in the flesh, this God who was willing to die on the cross for our sins, this God who conquered sin and death and rose from the grave and is coming back. We're saying we're following that God. It's not going to be easy all the time. And it's going to take some adjustments in our life. And sometimes it's going to take sacrifices. That's the point. You come to know God by experience as you obey him. And he accomplishes his work through you. What an amazing thing that God is willing to accomplish his work through us. Well, let's look at the passage. We're in Genesis chapter 12. We'll start in verse 10. And we'll work our way through the chapter. Uh, as you're turning there, I, I want to identify a few things. One of those big things is that in the West, we think main points, right? Here's introduction, point one, ABC. Point two, ABC. Point three, ABC, conclusion. And that's a great way to think. That's how we think in the West. However, this was written in from a Semitic mind in the Middle East. That means they think different. The way they tell stories is different. You're not going to see, well, here's where we're going. This is the main point. Here's the next main point. Here's the next main point. And in conclusion, this. That's not the way uh, that Genesis forms. And in the life of Abram, you're going to start to see a narrative if you have eyes to see it. One of the things that I would point out and encourage you to uh, start picking on as you're studying scriptures yourself is proper names. Proper names. When you see a proper name... That proper name has a meaning behind it, and that meaning behind it is going to inform the text and the reader of that text of where things are going. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see a message that forms in that place. Again, that is just how they thought. I get that it's different than the way that we think. Uh, We'll walk through it together. I think as we continue through Genesis, you'll start to get a feel for it, and you'll go, oh, keep my eye open. There's a message here. If you remember, Abram started in Ur of the Chaldees. And in Ur, this is a place of idolatry. In fact, his family was a part of that. Deep idolatry. And God uniquely calls Abram out. And in calling Abram out, he's calling his family out. And Abram gathers his family and going to a place that he doesn't know, he follows God. A God that is not the God of Ur, a different God. Altogether. Now that takes a lot of faith, but I also want us to understand um, how God did this. Are any of you itinerary people? You love itineraries. When you go on trips, you're like, okay, so I'll wake up at this time, and then at this time I'll do this, and this time I'll do this, and then I'll leave at this time, and it's going to take 45 minutes for me to go from here to there. Anybody like that? Yes, I love those trips. Um, that's so. We primarily have been in Wyoming. I have family in Indiana, and so we would drive across the United States, and uh, it's roughly 997 miles to uh, my family's house from where we lived. So what that means is there's a number that's floating around in my head of how many uh, hours that take and uh, that takes. And by the way, that number in my head is a little bit better than the number that Google gives me, uh, Google Maps. Just so you know which is fantastic, except for I have seven kids who have bladders about this size. Uh, you see where I'm going with this? And so, okay, this itinerary, here we go. We're, we're, we're going to be there. Mom, I'm going to be there at this time. Yep, okay, great. Can't wait to see you. Uh, Dad, <laughs> I got to use the bathroom. That's not going to work out well. Uh, that's not part of this itinerary that has been built. Oftentimes in the West, we think like that. God did not give Abram an itinerary. He, he didn't say, okay, first of all, on the first day, we're going to go to this town. And to get to that town, you're going to have to stop here and stop there. And you're going to have to refuel. You're going to have to get some more to drink here. There's going to be a place for you. None of that information is available to Abram. It's just follow me. How many of you are starting to sweat a little bit just hearing that? Like, ooh, God might call me to that? Maybe. Hang in there. Okay. So, Abram is following God and it gets to this crossroads, this place where on one side is Bethel and on the other side is Ai. Bethel means house of God. Ai, heap of ruin. And the the way that the story takes us or leads itself would be for us to go, okay, Abram is in a place where he has to make a decision. What's he going to do? Is he going to follow God, the house of God? Or is, is his life going to be a heap of ruins? What's it going to be? Now, how many of you thought when you first started following Jesus that it would just be nice and easy? I'm going to follow Jesus. Everything is taken care of. The debt is paid. It's going to be great. All I have to do, this is it. It's just real easy. Be obedient. And all I have to do is be obedient, and God is going to bless me, and things are going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Here we go. And then you were shocked when it didn't work out that way. Anybody? Okay, I'm the only one in the room. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, we come to those crossroads and they become very difficult. And this is where we see Abram starting in verse 10. Let's look at it and we'll walk through it together. Now there was a famine in the land. This is in the Middle East. This is in a desert region. This thing happens. Abram is at a crossroads. Do not forget the blessings that were, that were spoken to him by God himself. In fact, we'll revisit them in just a little bit. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. Your name will be great. Uh, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Don't forget that. That came just before this passage. And now there's a famine. What do we do? So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Chapter 12 starts with God leading. In the middle, Abraham is leading. Abram here is leading. He's choosing to do his own thing. God is not leading him to Egypt. Don't miss this point. God is not leading him there. He goes there. Why? Because there's a famine. You might say, well, that circumstance, that makes sense. It's reasonable. Uh, but again, we're talking about a narrative that is unfolding in front of us. Uh, Egypt. The, the root of the word means to besiege. It's surround. It's a war type of term. Do, do you see what Egypt might mean here? Do you see the, kind of why this might be nervous to the reader who is first reading this in the Middle East? Uh, uh-oh. He's leaving where he knew God was, where he experienced God. He's leaving that place, and he's going to a place of besiegement. Hmm. Makes me wonder where the rest of the story goes. In this place, by the way, uh, let me just let me just point out a couple of other things. One of those things about Egypt is this: as we continue to read throughout the Old Testament, Egypt is the place that the children of Israel end up being slaves in. So they're slaves in Egypt. Uh, Egypt often represents. Uh, throughout church history and the the way that they understood Pharaoh's role as would be like Satan and Egypt's role as uh, uh, they, the terms are like hell or like um, uh, bondage, slavery. Uh, That's what Egypt represents throughout the Old Testament. So uh, we have different eyes than the first hearers do, but it's important for us to address that. So Abram went down to Egypt. The word went down there is first used when God went down to Babel. He went down to see what it was like. Uh, it's used in not a, not a condescending way, but in a way that says uh, God and his authority is here. And God is willing to come down to a lower place to be with them. Abram is in God's blessing up here, and he goes down to a lower place to be in Egypt. Uh, Again, the subtlety of the language, but it's all painting a picture for us as we look at it. Verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Buckle up, you know it's not going to go well after this. He's, He's setting her up for something. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Then what are you doing in that land? Right? Why did you go there? But he did, uh, because there was a famine in the land, and maybe there's food there. So he comes up with a plan. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, And that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, in in all fairness, Sarai is technically his half-sister. Which, by the way, I think affirms the authority of the Scriptures because uh, this is something that God speaks against later in the Scriptures, to not be that way. So there's an honesty that comes in the Scriptures uh, and in the telling of the story. But Abram is going, Okay, so that nobody kills me, you lie. Well, okay, don't lie. Just tell a half a truth. Uh, just let him. Don't, just don't tell them that we're married. Let them know that you're my sister. That's why we're here. Well, it's to save his bacon. However, he, he forgot what God just told him. I will bless you. I will make you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. He's forgotten God's word already. Easy for me to judge, but I do the same thing, and I suspect you may too. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. I don't know, maybe he's even thinking I can help God out in this one. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. By the way, she's 65 years old here. Just something interesting to note. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Because God is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. And we don't want to miss that. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Again, interesting point, word go. That's where this uh, chapter started. With God telling Abram, go. Go from Earth, go from idolatry to the uh, the land that I 've prepared for you, and Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where His tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Why is that important? He's leaning towards the house of God here. But also, this is the last place that he was with God at. So what we see is a repentance. Don't miss it. What is repentance? Repentance is going one direction, being convinced that it's wrong, and turning towards God. This is exactly what Abraham does in action. Let's look at God's work. Uh, Again, a reminder of some things we learned earlier. I will make you a great nation. promise of God. Did Abram believe it? Maybe not. But he experienced God's sovereignty in this place. I will bless you. It's God's promise. Did Abram believe it? He took things in his own hands. I will make your name great. Uh, Did Abram believe it? He thought he was going to die in Egypt. That he would be a blessing. I, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those that treat you with contempt. All the peoples of the earth will consider themselves blessed through you. Abram wasn't living that out at that time, was he? And yet, this is still the father of our faith. That's how he's referred to, is the father of our faith, because he believed God and it was credited as righteous, as righteousness, and not just believed informationally, but he experienced God. By following him. So, let's look at a few insights from this situation. First of all, God was faithful with his promises. Even even when Abram isn't faithful, God still is faithful. You may be feeling that right now. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've done some things, said some things, thought some things, felt some things. God is still faithful. God is still God and we're still not. God is still pursuing a love relationship with us. He's still speaking to us through his word, uh, through our situations, and through prayer. God is still faithful. Abram experienced that. God's goodness leads to repentance. So when Abram isn't brave enough to speak truth, God speaks to Pharaoh on Abram's behalf. What an amazing God. Does God do it that way every time? Obviously not. But he did that time. Why? Because he's faithful. And what happens, and we get this from Romans, that God's goodness leads to repentance. There he's in Egypt. He could have stayed in Egypt. There's still food in Egypt, or at least that's the implication of the situation. He could have stayed in that place, but instead he turns around and he goes back to that last place where he experienced God. The last place he experienced God. Abram turned from the direction he was going to where he was supposed to be. I wonder if that's true for any of us today. Is there a direction that we're heading? Uh, A life situation that has taken us off course where we thought, um, maybe I can help God in this one. And we've walked ahead of God. And in walking ahead of God, uh, we've gotten to a, a dangerous place. I wonder if this is true, that there needs to be some repentance, some turning from that place, and toward God, and finding him in the last place that we were with him. So let's look at the three main waves that have come into this passage. The first one is God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Right? We see this perfectly in the life of Abram. I'm following you, God. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm pitching my tent right here, and there's a famine? That doesn't sound right. I got it. I know what to do. I'll go to that big town, right, this place where there's a lot of food. I'll go over to this country, and, and I'll spend some time there. Meanwhile, he's besieged. He loses his wife. I got to believe that when Sarai comes comes back to Abraham, that that conversation didn't go great. I I, I got to believe that that's the case. Uh But he's at a crossroads, and we're always going to be at those crossroads. We see it throughout the scriptures, and I I would say that experientially. If we were being honest, we would say that in those times where we've been most faithful to God and his word, we come to this crossroads where we have a crisis of faith. And will I trust that God is still in control? Will I trust that his promises are still good, still true, and still apply to me? And will I be obedient and follow him in that place? Or will I turn And do my own thing. Second one, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what He is doing. For Abram, leaving Ur. For Abram, leaving Egypt. For us, what is it? What is it that we need to leave? What land do we need to free? Is it idolatry? Is it a besiegement? What, what is it that we need to live? Is there a place that is keeping us captive? What is it that we need to leave? You come to know God by experiences as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. This is not about information today. Uh, this is all about experiencing God. Uh, but it's a choice that we have to make. And if we choose to experience God, then we have to understand uh, that he's going to work through us, sometimes in spite of us. He's going to do his work. And he chooses to use us. Again, one of the reasons that uh, we have opportunities to serve. Uh, within, uh, within friendship, it's one of the reasons that we are really big on life groups. It's one of the reasons that our youth ministry is big on D groups. Is because we believe that God can use his people and that God does like to use his people. And when he uses his people, we experience him in fresh and new ways. And sometimes in old and wonderful ways too. But we experience God. We're going to be transitioning to a time of communion as the worship team comes. And as, as the worship team comes and we prepare our hearts, here's what I would ask of you. Is, is there a place in your life where you have decided to deviate from God's plan, from his pathway? Is there a place where you've, you've chosen to go to your own personal Egypt, a besiegement? Uh, you've been surrounded and walled in. Is that true for you? And if so, the challenge is to repent, to leave. Let's call it what it is. It's called sin. It's when we're being unfaithful to what God has called us to do, and we do our own thing, that's called sin. The bad news is sin separates us from God. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for that sin. And if we would offer that to him in repentance, God can do a new thing. And he can take us back to that place where we've interacted with him, where we we have experienced him. And that would be our challenge today. Communion is for the follower of Christ, the believer. It's also a challenge for us to examine our hearts. And our response to God is to be a people of repentance. Again, turning from sin and turning towards God and being obedient in that place. At the end of, uh, uh, there may be a time where you're just in your seat and you're processing through that. And you've, okay, I have the peace of God to go forward. I would ask you to go to a station nearest to your chairs. uh, Go to that station, get both the elements and then return on the outer side to your chair. And then wait, we're going to worship in just a moment. And as as we worship and as we conclude uh, this next song, we'll go into corporate communion where we'll walk through some things together. But let's do this not as information to know about God, but experiential to experience God. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. We thank you that you have called us in a spiritual manner, out of Ur and into your promises. And Lord, as we leave Ur, this place of idolatry, we find ourselves in crossroads. And admittedly, we find ourselves trying to resolve the problem ourselves. And we often find ourselves in Egypt. And we're surrounded. And it feels like sometimes we can't leave. Almighty God, we're sorry. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to leave our spiritual Egypt? Would you help us to find that place where we pitched our tent with you and experienced you? Lord, use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.